The funny part of the announcements is when Doug said, um, next week is Easter, I, I heard a gasp in the room. Um, I think it came from the Collins area over here. Um, <laughs> Easter's next week. Next Sunday, Easter, yes. Resurrection Sunday, and today is Palm Sunday, so I don't know if you're familiar with Palm Sunday, but it's the, the Sunday that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Really the only time I, as I read the scriptures, in that moment where Jesus was really recognized, but he really wasn't recognized for what he was going to do. He was recognized. They wanted him to, they thought he was coming into Jerusalem just to take his throne and to kick out the Romans and to deliver them from captivity again. But that's not why Jesus came. Ashley, you're bringing our burdens and putting them in a bowl and pouring the, the symbolic blood of Jesus over. That, that's such a radical idea. She presented that idea to me right before service, and I was like, um, yeah, it's radical. But what Jesus did for us, church, is radical. He came and gave his life for us. And so when we put our burdens in this bowl and we understand that Jesus, the reason why he came was to die for our sins. By his stripes, we are healed. Yes. So Jesus came and they recognized him in the moment. They wanted him to be king. But I believe that there was just that little moment where he actually received the honor that was due him. Just for a moment, because we know in less than a week, that same crowd would be telling the leaders to crucify this one that they came. And what were, they, what were they shouting when Jesus came? They were shouting Hosanna, which was interesting. If you study that word, it is, yes, it is a praise and adoration and acknowledgement. But it also, in the root words in Hebrew, is a cry for help. God, help us. Hosanna, when Jesus was coming, they were saying, Jesus, help us. And that's why Jesus did come. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. And Jesus breaks the silence of 400 years by addressing Israel with blessing. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, yeah, raise your hand. We're going to be in our Bibles a lot today. I have a few on the slides for you, but majority of the time, we're going to be in the text. So Jesus breaks 400 years of silence as you're turning in in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. The amazing thing about these promises is that they're eternal. God's promises are forever promises. There are eight promises of blessing to us who follow Jesus. And, and if you want to follow these stories a little bit and take them into story form again, I want to just... Dana Buck, who's here uh, this morning, um, who will be leading our So Powerful, him and he's written them, Brandon's helped produce them, um, they're online, check it out, grab one out here in the foyer, um, it's great to be able to listen to, we listened to one this week, fantastic, love it. Many of you guys, it's fun to listen to because many of your voices are in them and it's kind of fun to pick out, oh that was, that was Brandon, that was Sydney, that was Fiona, that was Jordan. God's promises, blessed are. They're promises that are eternal, but they're also right now promises. They're promises that are in the present, not back then, not out there in the future, but right now. 
God's blessings right now. The Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We've looked at blessed are those who mourn. We've looked at blessed are the poor in spirit. This morning we're going to look at blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What is meekness? In our world today, meekness is not talked about. Because usually when meekness is referred to, we think of weakness. The world would say power, strength, dominance is how you can become successful. All kinds of classes on how to do those things. Is that what Jesus says? No. It's, that, it's the absolute opposite of what the world would say. You want to be successful in this world? You want to inherit everything that the world has for you? Then you need to be meek, is what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Has nothing to do with weakness, power in and of ourselves, strength in and of ourselves, dominance in and of ourselves. Now, in Christ, do we have power? Absolutely. Do we have strength? Absolutely. Do we dom- can we dominate in Christ? In the atmospheres that we are in, absolutely. We've been given all authority, as the Bible says. But how do we live this life? We live this life in meekness. And what is meekness? If you look up the definition, it's being quiet. It's being humble. It's being submissive. It's being gentle. Quiet, humble, submissive, gentle. Does it sound like anyone we know? It sounds like Jesus. Probably the best definition that I've ever heard on meekness is power under control. And that is the picture of Jesus. Jesus came to die and save us and rescue us. In fact, when Peter pulls out the sword right before he's arrested, Jesus says, put your sword away. I could have I handled this easy. I could have called down angels angel armies, and destroyed everything and everybody. But this is God's will for me. This is God's will for me. And so in the ultimate act of meekness, Jesus lays his life down for us and gives his life for us. Jesus was quiet in front of his accusers. And it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7. I don't have that on a slide for you. That's a last-minute one, so no slide for that one. But Isaiah is describing what the Savior of the world, the Messiah, is going to be and what he's going to do. 
And Isaiah said, he will be quiet, just like a sheep who is led to slaughter. Or a sheep who stands before its shearers, he will be, a quiet, he'll be quiet. And when they accused Jesus, what did he do? He was quiet. And he accepted God's will for his life. I don't think I would have been quiet. I have excuses. I have reasons. But Jesus said, I don't, I don't need any of that. I'm going to do what God, my Father, wants me to do. So for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, first of all, if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, that invitation is every day, anytime you want. He invites you to come to him. So whether you're watching at home or you're in the room, his invitation is for you to walk with him. I was singing um, the old hymn this week. Um, He walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I'm his own. And the joy that I share as I tarry there, but I say hang out there. There's no joy like walking with Jesus, so that invitation is to us. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is an amazing day, a day for you to lay down your palm branches before him and say, Jesus, help me. Hosanna, help me in my present situation now. But for those of us who have already said yes to Jesus, what is God's ultimate design for us? Okay, that's not a rhetorical question. I'm going to ask that question. What is God's ultimate design for those of us that have said yes to Jesus? Go. Okay, that's, that's the best answer in the room. Thank you, Jamie. To make us like him. So for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, what is God doing in our lives? He is making us like Jesus. On the surface, that sounds really good. I want that. Because there's a close, Jesus had this closeness with the Father like no other, right? And that's what I want. But man, how did Jesus get there? And how did, what did he have to go through? I don't know if I want that part. That's why Paul says, you know, I identify with Christ. I identify with his suffering. But I also identify in, in his resurrection and in life. So God is making us more like his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled faces, continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So every time you look in the mirror, you're not just seeing yourself. You're seeing the glory of God. When you look in the mirror. Because your, veil, your face is not veiled, right? You have unveiled faces now. You're not hiding the light of Jesus. You're not Moses coming down from the mountain, like embarrassed, like, man, I got to hide this Shekinah glory thing going on. We have unveiled faces that are continually seen as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We are progressively being transformed into the image into his image from one degree. This is the amplified version, so there's a little extra thing thrown in there. One degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he's making us more like him. He's continually 
working in us. He's continually transforming us so we'll be like Jesus. So how does he do this in us? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in, my, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we become like Jesus, what do we have to do? We have to be crucified. Popular message today, church. Because none of us want to die to ourselves, but that's what God calls us to do. It's that offering ourselves as living sacrifices. I believe we're going to read that verse later today, but I walked out of my deck the other night. Actually, Heather was coming in from getting wood and putting it in our fireplace, and she goes, someone's barbecuing outside. And she says, you got to come out here and smell it. And I'm like, I love a good barbecue. So I'm walking out, and we're just standing on our back deck. I don't even know what we had for dinner that night, but I was thinking about what they were having for dinner. And I was hoping I knew their phone number. I'm new in the neighborhood. I don't know their phone number. And I was just thinking, man, I love a good barbecue. But you know, God loves a good barbecue. As you read the Old Testament, and they bring the whole burnt offerings before God. Think of the practical side of it. When, when that was being presented to God as a sacrifice, the Bible says it was a pleasant. It smelled good. God loves a good barbecue. And we are supposed to be living sacrifices before him. Not living this life for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, there's things that we're doing. Yeah, we're remodeling our house, and sometimes that can be kind of a little overwhelming and kind of take over our thoughts, at least my thoughts. My 3 o'clock in the morning thought is like, oh, I know how to do that now. <laughs> now I can go back to sleep. But really, this life is like this. Boom. And it's over. And we're supposed to be living for him. So how is he making us like Jesus? First of all, we are dying to ourselves. We are crucified with Christ. We no longer live this life for us anymore. The life that we're living now in this body, what's happening here, we're living for Jesus now. Because he's the one that gave his life for us. So he's making us like him. And there's the Romans verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Some versions say as a living sacrifice because of what he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. As we read these passages, sometimes, God, am I living these verses, am I crucified with Christ? And it's no longer me, but I'm living Jesus for you, doing the things that you want me to do, just like you did when you were here and you lived for your Father. Am I doing those things? Am I offering myself as a living and holy sacrifice? One that when he looks at me is acceptable to him. Do you know that there are sacrifices 
sacrifices in the Old Testament that were not acceptable to God. Just read about one that Saul did the other, time, the other day. God was very specific with King Saul. Uh, this is what I want you to do. And Saul said, well, this is what I want to do. And he still offered sacrifices to God, but it wasn't the sacrifices that God wanted. And did God say, all right, everything's good now. What did he do? God's judgment because of the way he sacrificed out of rebellion was, I'm no longer with you. I'm glad he doesn't do that anymore because the Bible says that for those of us that love him, that follow him, he will never leave us, never forsake us. But in that moment, for Saul, God says, I'm done with you. Holy sacrifices before God that are acceptable to him. He's transforming us. Don't copy the behavior of this, behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we die to ourselves, we live for Jesus, and then we change the way we think. He's transforming us to make us like Jesus. That means we pay attention more to what Jesus has to say about how to live this life than what the world has to say how to live this life. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who live their lives, their lives of power, but yet with control. Blessed are those who live their lives quiet, humble, gentle, and submissive. He's transforming us. And notice that I didn't say he's making us more like Jesus. You guys notice I've been very specific. I've had to catch myself multiple times this morning because I always use that phrase. He's making us more like Jesus. He's making me more like Jesus. Because the word more, quotation mark, is a cop-out. It's your more is different than my more. It's almost like an excuse well, he's making me more like Jesus. But until then, I can do whatever I want. No, he's making us like Jesus. He's doing his work. The Bible calls that, well, the church calls that word sanctification. It's a continual work. It's a continual work. It's a transformational work like we just read about. I was thinking yesterday, the question what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm 58 years old. I'm just now asking that question. What do you want to be when you grow up? When you're a kid, what do you want to be? When you're a kid, some of you are still kids. I'm looking around the room. If you're in your 30s, in my opinion, you're still a kid. Okay. Okay, 40s? Okay. Do I hear, do I hear 50s? I'll take that. Do I hear 50s? Okay. Still, still a kid. Okay. All right. 70s? 80s? Still a kid? Okay. All right. But when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Some, give me some examples. I wanted to be a veterinarian. You want to be a veterinarian? You wanted to be. Okay. And how old are you now? You're 16. Okay. 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 Actress. 
You could be on the show. What's the show we're watching right now? All Creatures Great and Small. You could be a veterinarian actress on that show. Okay. Anyways. Look it up. It's a great show. Love it. It is a, it is a, a BBC. Uh, it's a great show. It's about veterinarians in, in England. Let's check it out. Okay. All right. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Come on. Astronaut? Okay, yeah, that was big. Anybody else want to be an astronaut when you're growing up? Just Ken. Okay. Ken, you can fly off into space all by yourself, I guess. Okay. Anybody else? John? Oh, you want to be a... You want to be the NBA logo. Okay. All right. Okay. Run daycares around the world. Wow. That's that's awesome. Okay. That Lonnie was you raising your hand? Yeah, I wanted to be Steph Curry's wife. Another NBA reference there. Steph Curry is a basketball player, one of the best shooters in the world right now. Um, and Lonnie wanted to be married to him. Okay. All right, Lonnie. Let's. Um, I have an appointment in my, available in my office um, that we can talk about that if you need to. What else? What did you want to be when you grew up? Yes. Scuba diver on Sea Hunt. <laughs> on Sea Hunt? Is that a, was that a show? Okay. Okay. okay I, f- I feel young all of a sudden. This is great. Sorry, sorry, Rick. We're the same age, but uh. what else? Do you want to be GI Joe? Okay. A drummer. Okay, Fiona. Drummer, actress. Veterinarian, okay. We need some focus here. Okay. Pat. You want to be a nurse? Okay. So you put action to your what you wanted to be, and then you're like, nope. Okay. All right. Yes, Judy. I also wanted to be a nurse until I took chemistry twice. Okay. And then the reality of, no, I guess I'm going to do something different. I guess I want to be a teacher instead. And that's what you did. It's awesome. Some of you, I know your names, and I, don't, I really, well, I can't say that because that would not be true. I like putting you on the spot, actually. So, Alex, Pastor Alex. Yeah, I'm going back and forth, but I'll go with a pro surfer. Want to be a pro surfer? I don't know if you guys know, but Alex is still surfs today. Um, he's a great, great surfer. There's some cool pictures. He's got some po- cool pictures of him uh, hanging ten. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Yes, Kim. You want to be a carpenter? That's awesome. I love that. Pro golfer. Pro golfer. Okay. Do you golf? Not well. Not well. <laughs> so probably not going to happen then for you, Derek. Okay. Probably not going to happen. All right. Yes, Dana. A trash man. That's, that's my son. My son used to, Josh, he's not here, so I can talk about him. It won't cost me any money. Um, our trash got picked up super early in the morning. Well, in his crib, he figured out very early how to crawl out of his crib. And um, he could hear the truck coming from down the street. And he would just come tearing out of his room at like two years old. And jump up on the couch and just watch with eyes wide open in amazement 
of the guy, the truck coming down, and this guy. But back then, they didn't have the machine that picked it up and dumped it. The guy had to get out there and actually dump it in him by himself. That's what he, he was like. I'm all over. Garbage man is what I want to be. Garbage man. Yeah, Clint. Really? Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Full circle. Okay, Gene, I'm gonna Gene, I'm gonna pick on you. A marine nurse. Wow. Okay. Did you become a nurse at all? Okay. A mar- were you a mar- Okay. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. All right, my mom will be the last one. I want to be an undercover detective. <laughs> you know, you go along this, you know, you live this life. You live this life, and there's things that you find out that you had no idea. I had no idea my mom wanted to be underground detective. Underground, undercover. Yes. Someone just said she was an undercover PI when I was a teenager. Yeah, she was watching. She was watching for sure. I kind of went back and forth when I was a kid. The whole fireman thing back in the day was always kind of a, you know, you kind of jump at that. But... Um, there was, I went through a stretch, and I was just trying to think. We were talking about it. I was like, man, if you ask, actually ask that question. And I wanted to be a disc jockey for a while when I was a little kid because Hank, um, Hank's my stepdad, who's my dad, who just had a birthday last week. I'll say it, last time I'll say it, Hank. Um, and when you're a disc jockey, you don't use your real name, so their name is... Blumenthal is their last name. So you're not like, uh, hey, I'm Hank Blumenthal on the radio. He was Hank Brown on the radio. It's a country station out of Puyallup. And I just remember I would sit in our, we had hundreds and hundreds of um, these round black discs. Let me describe this to some of your younger generation. They're about that thick. and They're about that round. They had a hole about a quarter inch. It's called a record yeah, and you could, uh, yeah, record LPs are coming back big time. Um, and I would just sit there and play, and I would record, I don't, I don't even know what I was doing. I was, I would record myself being a disc jockey. I was doing, I was doing, my mom still has tapes somewhere. I would kind of like to listen to those sometime. I don't know if I would or not. Oh, I don't want to go into that, please. <laughs> let's, let's, mom, let's just keep that between you and me. Okay, please? Okay, all right. Had nothing to do with pastor or anything like that. The things that we want to do when we grow up. Church, what are we supposed to be as we are growing up? Is we're supposed to be like Jesus. And I think sometimes we complicate it and we make, make it big. God, what am I supposed to do? I mean, one of the biggest things I get often is Okay, I know Jesus now, and I'm saved. What am I supposed to do? And it's really simple. I mean, really, really simple is we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love people. But as you 
unpack what that means is how do I, so how do I do that? Well, Jesus right here in Matthew gives us eight things for us to do. Eight things for us to be contemplated about. Oh, I'm supposed to be poor in spirit. I'm supposed to know that I cannot live this life without him. It's not about my strength, my ability. It's about his strength and my availability. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to mourn. I'm supposed to mourn the fact that Jesus came and gave his life for me. The fact that he had to die for me should make me sad. But I'm also supposed to mourn the fact that I have friends and family that don't know him. And if they die today without him, the Bible is very clear that they will spend eternity without him. I I don't want that to happen. I need to live a life that is changed. I need to live a life that is being transformed. I need to be like Jesus. And so my friends and my family can observe what Jesus looks like and want that for themselves. What was Jesus like? I don't have a slide for this one, but back in Isaiah when he's describing what the Messiah was going to do and what he was like, Isaiah describes what Jesus looked like. Jesus was ordinary. I don't think I ever think of Jesus as ordinary. He was extraordinary. But how he looked with our eyes, you wouldn't pick him out of the crowd. When Samuel came looking for the king because Israel wanted a king, he saw Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody else. Handsome, good-looking, strong. Yes, he's going to be our king because everybody will want him as a king because he is, he's taller, bigger, stronger, faster. But when Jesus came, the Bible says he was ordinary. People wouldn't like, be attracted to him like, oh, I want to follow this guy because he's, he's an attractive rabbi. He's a good-looking rabbi. We don't think of it that way, but that's what Isaiah said. Jesus was ordinary. But what was Jesus' character? Jesus was compassionate. So I'm going to give us four things here. And these are like observations, but yet at the same time, they're challenges to each one of us. Because we're supposed to be like Jesus, not more like Jesus. We're supposed to be like Jesus. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. One of my favorite Bible verses. I say that about all kinds of Bible verses because the Word of God is amazing. This is a description of our Savior, the one who came to rescue us. He was, and can I say he is, compassionate. Because when he looks at the crowd, he sees that they are harassed. He sees that they're helpless. They don't have a leader. They don't have anybody that will walk with them out of where they're at. So Jesus said, I'll do that. 
How do we become more like Jesus? We stop judging the crowd. Church, listen to me. We have got to stop judging the crowd. And we got to see them as harassed and helpless. Man, they're just doing, they're just trying to, honestly, they're just trying to survive just like you and me. But they don't have Jesus. And so they're doing whatever comes their way. Oh, the world tells me this. Oh, this is what's on the radio today. This is what I'm reading today. This is what my teacher tells me I should be and what I should do. This is my identity. Instead of judge them, we should look and say, man, they are helpless without Jesus. I want to bring them to Jesus. So we need to be compassionate. Jesus was a servant He is king of kings and lord of lords. No mistake. Mistake in that at all. But Jesus didn't come to sit on a throne here on earth. He came to serve. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Less than 24 hours before Jesus would go to the cross. Probably one of the most ultimate acts of humility ever in human history, was when Jesus got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. Less than 24 hours before he'd be crucified. Talk about serving. He could have just sat there and said, hey, I'm going to be gone tomorrow. My next three days are going to be really rough. I need you guys to serve me here a little bit. Give me a piece of bread. You know, serve me, serve me. No, Jesus came to serve us. So we need to serve one another. I encourage you guys to stick around. Are you hungry? Do you need to get home for lunch? Yes, I'm starving. But we need to stick around and serve these girls in Zambia by packing some purses. It's the easiest thing ever. The purses show up here. They're made from all over the world. We grab them. We make sure, we'll check and make sure there's a card in there, a handwritten card. We stick it in there, and we stick it in a plastic bag, and we stack it. Meanwhile, we're talking, goofing around, having fun. And sometimes Pastor Marcy brings out the chocolate. Okay? All right? That'll get you. Do you have chocolate? Okay, she does. <laughs> Little secret? She always does. Okay, okay. Between her and I, we always have candy at the church. Serve. Man, serve. We got to serve one another. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what we need to do. That's how we can be, be more like him. In Jesus' own words, he's talking to us, and he says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody need to find rest? Then you got to stop carrying your burdens, and you need to leave them in that jar and allow his blood to be washed over those, and you need to pick up what he's given you, and you need to walk with that. Because he is gentle and he is humble. We're supposed to be gentle. As believers in Christ, we're supposed to be gentle. And we're supposed to walk with him in humility. Again, this isn't what you always hear today. We're supposed to be gentle with people. We're supposed to be humble with them. Are we supposed to speak the truth? Absolutely. But we do it with gentleness. And we do it in humility because... It's not that I want to be right. 
I want them to know the truth about Jesus. See, when we get, where we get in trouble is when we stand on, I just want to be right. I'm wrong all the time. I was wrong about trees this morning on the way to church. I put my hand out and shook on it, and I was totally wrong. I want to be right all the time. But when we're talking to people about Jesus, and they have a view, and we have a view, and we, like, we plant our stake and like, no, I'm right. I don't care if I'm right. What I care about is their eternity. That's what we should care about. And our world right now is struggling with who they are and what they're supposed to be doing, and they're just clinging on to whatever the world throws in front of them. And right now, it's, it's perverse. I'm just going to say, right now, they're just grabbing on to whatever, and a lot of times we just stand back and judge it instead of looking upon them and just with compassion. And again, blessed are those who mourn. We should weep over that. It should, like, break our hearts, like, man, God, would you just do something? And when we pray that prayer, all this is coming up. Okay, I am going to do something. I'm going to do something for you. Would you love people? Would you be gentle with them? Would you serve them humbly? Not make excuses for sin. I'm not saying any of that, church. But what I'm saying is we have to love people where they're at and introduce Jesus to them. And it's amazing what happens when when you're introduced to Jesus, because he changes everything. I'm totally different now than I was even a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, 20 years ago. I'm totally different now. Hopefully, more like Jesus. No. Hopefully, like Jesus. Compassionate, servant's heart, servant, gentle, and humble. In fact, Jesus, is, Jesus was humble. His early, early on miracles, what was his command to the people? Shh. That was his command. Shh. His later on miracles, Jesus' command was give glory to God. It's all about him. Turn your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. It's those four letters right in a row that the Apostle Paul wrote, and sometimes it's hard to remember which ones is Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. I always remember, go eat popcorn. Galatians, go. Ephesians, eat. Philippians, pop. Okay, you figure it out. Okay, if you don't like popcorn, you can go eat potato chips. It's the same thing. Philippians, probably the most ultimate act of humility is described in Philippians chapter 2. And as we read this, I'm going to ask us to stand. I grew up Southern Baptist. We'd always, we'd always stand when we read the Word of God. We only read it once at the beginning, then you sat down. But we're, we're, we're reading it all the time. You'd be standing up the whole service here at this church. But I want us to read this because this is the ultimate act of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We didn't even get into what we're going to inherit. Can I just say this before we read this? This is what we inherit. We have everything that we need. Jesus says, you live a life of meekness, you'll have everything you need this side of heaven. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, 
If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of or to be grasped as I learned it growing up. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness or being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God, this morning, as we look at your life, and as the words have come out of your mouth, Blessed are the meek. Those who live humble lives for you. Those who sit in quietness and allow you to be the one who speaks for us and through us. To live lives of submission to you, Jesus. And you, as you said these words gently to us, God, that's what you're doing in us. You are making us like you. And I thank you that your promise says that when we are meek, when we live for you, you will take care of everything else. In fact, Jesus, later on, you say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So this morning, God, we seek you first. We lift up our families and our friends that don't know you, and we pray for them even by name right now. Will we see their faces? And on their behalf, we cry out, Hosanna. Rescue, Almighty One, Savior of the world. Today, God, on Palm Sunday, we lay down our branches before you. And we acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords. May we live for you this week, starting today in this moment. In your name, amen. Amen. I really do invite you to stick around and uh, pack a couple. Even if you only packed 10 purses, that would be 10 more than somebody else has to do, okay?
It's all the way across. Grab your coffee, grab a cookie, and then uh, head over. And we'll, they're going to, in fact, they're over there right now, getting ready. All right. Okay. God bless you.